This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Eves. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Thank you to all you loyal listeners for coming back once again. We have another great episode for you here tonight. We're talking to Curtis Harms out of Southern Illinois. Now, Curtis uh, is a fan and follower of the podcast. He shot a nice buck this fall and, and posted it up on Facebook, and we got to talking. And uh, he has a bunch of great information uh, to share with you all tonight, and I just want to tell you guys a few things that we get into. Uh, we talk about food plotting and ag country and farmland. You know, are they necessary? What mistakes do people make? Uh, we also talk about how food plot rotation can also maybe, you know, coexist with your ag field rotation. What are you supposed to do there? How can we learn about that? Um, some things we can do in different waterways and uh, the edges of field between the fields and the wood lines. You know, how can you help your farmer out who gives you hunting permission? You know, uh, we talk a bunch about that, what you can do to volunteer and improve the farmer's bottom line while improving your deer hunting. So, you know what, guys? Another great episode from Curtis Harms in Southern Illinois. I hope you guys enjoy. But I want to first tell you about a new sponsor we brought on this week. We brought on Morse Nursery. Now, Charlie Morse from Morse Nurseries is an awesome guy. We had him on episode 38 of the Habitat Podcast here. And I tell you what, I've listened to that episode uh, four or five times, especially right before tree planting season, so pretty much right now. So I urge you to go back and check that episode out. But we are going to be having another episode with Charlie here soon, along with some great informative segments on some of the trees and shrubs that he offers for wildlife. 
So stay tuned with that, guys. Check him out at morsenursery.com or at Morse Nurseries on Facebook. And thanks, Charlie, for your support. We uh, are very happy to have you partner up with the podcast. Let's talk about the Habitat Hook from Nick Nation next, guys. Now, I am about to go out and start dropping some trees here, probably this weekend. Um, you know, season's been done now, but some, getting some honeydew stuff done at home, and my Habitat Hook is sitting in the garage just staring at me. I have the uh, aluminum square-handled extendable version. Now, that thing is... I never knew how much I would use it when I first started, you know, TSI work and hinge cutting, but I use it for almost every tree I cut. Even if I'm felling a tree, it's nice to give it a little push over in the right direction and get that hook way up in there and, uh, you know, use your whole body and push that thing over. So it's pretty sweet. You know, they're powder-coated, uh, tough, uh, binds aluminum. He does have some steel options as well that won't break the bank. So, guys, check him out at nationscreations.net and tell him we sent you from the Habitat Podcast. And, uh, you know, be sure to pick up a Habitat Hook this season. I'd like to thank our other sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cult of Packers, Killer Food Plots, The Hunt Wise App, and 5-2 Outdoors. Now, I know uh, the Lazy Man stands that Dale sells over at 5-2 are going to have a price increase here in 2020, but he's holding prices on his 2019 blinds. Uh, until they are out. So that's, you know, a couple hundred bucks off right there, guys. And Dale will cover the sales tax for any blinds he sells to a podcast listener. So be sure to check him out at 52outdoors.com. That's F-I-V-E, the number two, outdoors.com. And before we get rolling here, I want to read off a brand new review from Steel185. I've listened to every podcast so far, and these guys are great. Their focus on habitat is such a draw. It has changed how I look at my property, and I've convinced a few friends to listen to these podcasts, too. I'm going back and listening to a podcast a second time, sometimes three to five times, from the first episode to the most recent. I'm surprised at the additional details I'll pick up listening over and over. Can't say enough good things. I'd love to hear them interview a small acre hunter in central Texas. How do they hunt without just adding a corn feeder? Steel 185, what an awesome review. Thank you very much. Uh, be sure to reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram. Let's get you a free decal for uh, you and your friends here. And uh, maybe we'll have to find that Central Texas hunter. We have not talked to anybody from Texas yet, and I'd love to. So if you, anybody out there listens in Texas and uh, knows of a person who think would be a good, great guest to come on the show, let us know. We'd love to reach out and talk to him. And guys, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, you can go on the iTunes Apple Podcast app or uh, Spotify and leave us a good review and I watch them all the time and I send out details to the folks that give us good reviews. Uh, last but not least, we have uh, some new shirts and hats up at HabitatPodcast.com with the rest of our gear. Be sure to check that out and for all new listeners, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube at Habitat Podcast as well. Alright guys, let's get Curtis Harms on from Illinois. All right, and we are back. I'm a trusty co-host, Brian Hallblight, on the line, and our special guest tonight, Curtis Harms from Illinois. How you doing, Curtis? Great. How you guys doing? Good. Doing real good. Doing good. Thanks for joining us tonight. You uh, just got finished with, you said, a, a leadership conference. Is that right? Yes. Oh, baby. Tell us about um, that. What are you up to today? 
Um, it's with the Illinois Farm Bureau, uh, leadership enhancement. Uh, got a little time off work to try to better myself that way. So I'm going to do that. And I'm kind of, I'm trying to get forward to help kind of bring some of the conservation stuff to other farmers. I think a lot of guys kind of blow it off and they don't, they don't realize that you can use the whitetail that are on your property as another way to make some money. That's kind of what I want to talk about too, is how, how to work with your landowners, things like that. No, that sounds great, man. We will get into that stuff here shortly. Uh, Brian, how you doing over there tonight? I'm doing great, Jared. Just doing a little bit of uh, family time before you called and getting caught up with them on some stuff. Awesome, awesome. Make sure you tell them I said hi, and uh, glad you guys could both join. Now, sure. Curtis, you, uh, I think how we originally got hooked up with you you were you posted up something on one of our facebook posts a while back with a sweet buck you killed um you had a little bit of story behind it uh that's i think how we connected now let's let's hear a little bit about you you know paint us a picture of where you're from grew up doing and uh you know help us show the listeners who you really are all right um i grew up in southern illinois on the family farm uh my dad my dad's third generation farmer my mom would be third generation farmer so I get it honestly from both sides um didn't really have a lot of hunters in the family growing up but for some reason I think the first time I saw a deer in the back of somebody pick up that was the coolest thing in the world to me and <laughs> I was hooked uh dad wasn't a hunter but he knew I wanted to do it so he when I got I guess 12 years old he got us landowner tags uh bought another shotgun bought some orange and we started hunting we didn't know what we were doing at all and I ate a lot of tag soup for the first six years, but it got me in the woods. It got me going, and then it just, and that drive was always there. Um, right before shotgun season in 2003 in Illinois, I shipped off to boot camp, spent 11 years in the Navy, um, bounced around the Pacific quite a bit. Then the last three years, I got back to uh, Virginia, had work schedule there, uh, helped out with it, so then I got into hunting out there again. Uh whole different world out there in the southeast hunting oak stands and pine timbers bow hunting come gun season they turn the hounds loose and that was that's not something i enjoyed at all but it, it gave me a lot better uh appreciation for what i had back home so then i started coming back home hunting uh, when i could in the fall and uh working on our property at home to try to make it more of a, a white tail sanctuary so i had something i could i could enjoy myself Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, first off, thank you for your service. I really appreciate that. Not a big deal. <laughs> and uh, now that you're you're back home, tell us a little bit more, more about home. Um, you said Southern Illinois. Um, are you on a small property, large property? Where are you on over there with your family? Um, I've got I've got three three properties I hunt. My main property is uh, to nine like ninety eight point seven five ninety nine acres. That we farm, it's about 30, I think there's 35 acres of timber on that with the rest of uh, cropland that I farm as uh, as well. And then my property borders up to, uh, the state of Illinois owns a lot of land around the Kaskaskia River floodplain. And it's basically a, I think it's 15,000 acres or something of continuous timber over over 35 miles along the riverbank. And we I butt up to that. Okay, very cool. <laughs> I've got a small property. I, I hunt right on, the, right on the edge of town. It's it's very hit or miss. I've had the biggest buck I've ever 
got on camera. I think I, I sent a picture a while back. He was there. And then sometimes you go out there, you, know, you can sit for four days and you won't see a deer. And then my uncle's farm, uh, mother uncle of farms right behind his house. And that's mostly, I, I go out there with my other uncle and my cousin. That's kind of where I just relax and shoot some does and just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy shotgun season after sweating it out bow hunting for a few weeks. Yeah, you know, I hear you there. So you're you're mainly a bow hunter, but you you do it all, you know, with the family and the and the camaraderie of it or the tradition of it, right? Yeah, I mean it's 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 just fun to sit back, relax, and just enjoy enjoy it for a day. Turn the heater on, prop my feet up, take my shoes off, that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, shoot, man, yeah, it sounds like you're uh, just like uh, a lot of us who run the podcast here and, and a lot of our listeners, you know. Uh, another another hardworking guy, uh, obsessed with uh, deer and bettering the habitat for him. Now, what else do you do besides farm? Do you have another job as well, or no? Uh, yeah, I'm a full time maintenance planner for a lime kiln. Okay. How much time uh, of the day does that eat up for you? Um, up at four, out the door by five. Usually home from work about four four thirty in the afternoon. Okay, that's a full day, man. Oh yeah. So when, in that timeline of your life, back from uh, the Navy till till now, when did you get start working on habitat? Um, it kind of it was something I knew I wanted to do. Is kind of thinking, all right, how am I going to get started? And then the first year I was back, uh, just we had a timber fire in the neighborhood, and uh, got a hold of Dad and. He, he logged. Actually, we have two acre. We have two tracks. We have another forty-acre timber track about a half mile south of where I hunt, and they logged both those out. So then I had they did a select cut, tim, uh, so I got a little TSI out of that. And then, and right off the bat, the guys that were I was talking to logging through one day, they're like, "Man, we've never seen so many deer while on the job." This was right in the September, beginning of October. That first cold front we had that fall, they were they they, they were done cutting. They were still skidding out, and they were talking about. They drive past a big oak top that they left set, and there'd be four does. They go a little bit further, three does, and they would be like, "Man, this place is loaded with deer." So I was like, "All right, I got I got something going. This will be great." And then first first season hunting came, and I think I saw two deer from the stand all year. <laughs> oh man! So, oh yeah, oh that's hunting. And then next year, all right, this looks be better this year. I got a little bit of stuff done, not as much as I wanted to. And we had a horrible wet winter there, uh, fault two years ago, and I had 20 acres of beans I didn't get to come by that year. I thought, this this should be great, though. I got soybeans back here. They should be loaded up, and I think I saw about six deer from the stand again back there that year. So that's when it was, okay, I really got to, I got to kick this into high gear this year. So I started making my plan out, and then this spring we had our horribly wet, spring i think everybody was suffering from oh yeah and it hurt me a little bit but it also helped me a bunch my the state ground behind me stayed flooded for weeks and that pushed all the deer up and it stayed up long enough there was no browse in the bottoms that basically if you go down there after the water was out it was like you see those over browse woods out in the east coast somewhere where the deer have eaten everything from four foot down yeah that was the water line so uh-huh. now they had to come to me. And then they found, you know, three years after the logging, the bedding areas were 
were perfect as far as the treetops down with kind of some weeds and grass growing through them. I've got a bush honeysuckle invasion on my hands that I've really got to fight this year. That's that's my big habitat plan for this year to see where the evasives. But this, I went from seeing you know six deer, five deer a year to my worst sit this year was four deer. So I got them there, got got some food in them for them, things like that, and it just things finally started to click for me this year. So. And everything that I tried worked, which never happens, it seems, this year. So I kind of got the plan going there. And then things I've done on other farms all started. Everything just kind of fell into place this year. So Yeah, that's great. Uh, you're in uh, a lot of ag country there. And yes, uh, a lot of people think, you know, are food plots necessary? Are they not necessary? What are your thoughts on that? Um, they, I, I, I use them. It's... I, I had an idea why, and I would laugh at some guys, but I talked to guys around and like, oh, yeah, I put out blah, 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 forage soybeans. I'm like, oh, yeah, what would you put out? Oh, I got like a three-acre plot. There's a 150-acre soybean field a quarter mile down the road from your three-acre plot. Why would you put out three acres of soybeans? And guys just kind of looked at me like, well, you got to put out soybean plots. That's what you're like. Now, that being said, I, but that was also with it being late. I had extra soybeans from the farm. So I put them in a few spots with the idea of I left them I left them stand so I'd have solid uh, protein right now when they're trying to recover from the rut. But I, I I knew what to do, and then it was actually the other day I was listening to the Drop Time podcast, and they were talking with uh, Dr. Provenza, who wrote the book Nourishment. If you want to go into, like, you know, PhD-level deer science, that book is awesome because they talked about why do why do deer leave your property? You know, you can have 100 acres of alfalfa with soybeans and all this. That's great, but deer like us, they need a balanced diet. So you got to give them a little bit of everything. So putting some radishes, things like that, in, in, in along with your uh, with your beans and corn, that's what holds the deer. They're not they're not going to just eat soybeans. Just like you know, salad is great for us, but if you eat just salad every day, you're going to get sick. And that's what you got to do is work with your work with your crop rotation, work with what you've got growing, and give them what they don't have there, so they don't go to the neighbors and try to find what else what else they need. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what are some of the mistakes you see people making when it comes to food plots in ag country? Um, I said, big one is thinking you got to put soybeans out for a food plot, and and not knowing like your groups of plants. So. You know, alfalfa's a legume, putting legumes next to legumes, um, not doing any, not doing any, a lot of guys want to hinge cut food, which that's what, that's what you need. you got to have that, you know, that woody browse to complement the corn, to complement the beans. And I, a lot, I think a lot of guys fall short on that. They just see the beautiful food plots on Pursuit and Outdoor Channel and think that's what they got to have. And you've got that. You've got Said I, I, the neighbors right next to me, they have 200 acres of crop on that farm. They're big farmers. So they put the whole 200 acres in soybeans. Why would I want to put out any more soybeans as a food plot, you know, in normal times to, uh, to match that? It's, it's right there. It's free. I didn't, I didn't have to pay for that out of my farm account, let alone out of my limited hunting budget to put more soybeans in. All right. And the other thing is watch the planting date and go after that. So, I, I, like I said, I did put some soybeans out because I had extra ones this year from the farm. I planted them in the second to third week of July. 
so that once everything else with the leaves were falling off and they were trying to move that green food source, I had green soybeans then. So they were there was it was an extra green that was a forge, but I didn't I didn't want to get them out in May. I wanted to put those soybeans out as late as I could so that they had that green transition to as the leaves fell off everybody else's beans around. Okay, so just to to kind of wrap that up and, and summarize what you said, you're thinking if there's a bunch of beans all around you, don't plant beans, or at least try to diversify yourself a little bit, if I'm tracking, um, and that way you're just not blending it with uh, the food that's available. Is that correct? Right. Like I said, it, if you think about it, and you watch deer, they they need a balanced diet. I guess okay. I've had one of the big clicks for me was I had, a, I had a doe come out one time in a beautiful uh, cornfield, fresh cut and all that. And you just smell, you know, the fresh cut corn, and they turn and go right to the ragweed on the edge of the field and start munching on ragweed. <laughs> yeah, those natural forbs, man, or those forbs, they love those. Um, the balance diet, that makes sense. And, and we talked about that with uh, Dr. Craig Harper, too. He mentioned, you know, watch them, watch them work the edge of your food plots just like, you know, or, or the, the overgrown field and, and watch what they It's a good point there. Now, you also mentioned some things that you can do to complement, you know, hunting these ag areas. So, so there's all the food in the world out there. Um, what are you doing that's a little bit different that could, you know, work alongside those? Not try to maybe be totally different than it all the time, but kind of help yourself help the deer. Um, so big thing around us is guys put fescue in waterways, fescue on field roads. Fescue's, you know, it's great. It stays Is green. Is it for erosion, it or what's that for? It's to hold the ground. Yep. Okay. It's cheap. But that's but it has very low nutritional value. So I've got I've I've gotten rid of my fescue and started putting ladina clover in all those spots. It does the same thing. It's pretty it's pretty uh, herbicide tolerant. So if I get a little drift from I actually want to spray my crops, it doesn't wipe the clover out, and the deer just demolish it. Actually, I, the first spot I ever did it, I just put it down on bare dirt, and they dug it up and chewed it up. So I actually went back. I had to cut, push hog down the fescue, and then got the got the clover seed in, and the, got a rain. So the, the fescue kind of came up to get over the clover, kept the deer out of it so it could at least establish. Now I've got established uh, clover in places where I used to have fescue. The deer can eat on that, and I've, I'm doing the same thing. It's, it's cheap. It holds the soil in place, but it's, it's got nutritional value for the deer. Okay, and when you're putting a clover in that that waterway, um, that's a perennial, right? You're not putting an annual in there because the annual would, I assume, would essentially die, and then it wouldn't be helping your erosion or holding the ground. Right, uh, perennials in, and then if I get a chance, I try to come back and frosty a little bit extra clover in the spring to kind of you know fluff it up a little bit. But that was that was the, I'm always trying to find something I can do that'll hold my soil in place, but will give me more benefit than just fescue or whatever whatever else would just grow to cover the dirt up yeah no I'm, i i like that idea i think we uh might have heard a little bit of that before i can't remember which podcast it might have been aaron blicey he, he's working the, the waterways a little bit i mean if you're if you're working the if you're talking about taking farmer dollars away by removing you know some of his crop field and adding in a food plot this way you're not touching his crops so i mean you're you're, you're it's kind of a win-win Right, and and it, it works for you know a lot of guys you know, want to go out and buy their farm to hunt on, but you 
can't you, you you can justify a lot more acres if you can turn around and lease off the ag lands on it. Well, now there's another way you can maximize your investment by you know not 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 dedicating everything to deer, not dedicating everything to the farm, kind of kind of blend it and just and get the most out of every square foot of, of dirt you got. Okay, so what else are you doing uh, in those waterways, or maybe not just to complement? the food in the agricultural fields or what the farmers have already put in. What else you got up your sleeve? Um, well, my big one now is I'm pulling out my evasives. I've got one waterway that's been completely overrun with bush honeysuckle. So it's not, one, it's not doing anything for me there. And if you've ever seen fully established bush honeysuckle, it basically makes a big dome and then there's bare dirt underneath. So then you still got the erosion. So I'm losing, I'm losing square footage of, of suitable ground at the bottom while I've got a plant that's not doing anything for me. So I'm pulling up. That's my winter project is to try to get that pulled out and get switch grass or uh, another one I like to use. I think uh, uh, Ellinger uses it. Um, I call it student grass. It's a it's a sorghum. Yeah. Uh, we use it we, we use it for beef cattle around here for, for hay. It's it's got good nutritional value, and it makes a great screen. It, if you let that stuff grow unchecked, it'll get 10 foot tall in a year. Now, it's soil, it's easy to plant, it's cheap, and it's, that you, and now you, and it, it's a food source or it's a screen. So I've got one issue I do have on this farm is access. So I this year I scattered in along the way. I still have a bunch of trees, but the goal is next year to put switchgrass on one side, student grass on the other, so I've got a screen that's providing food. And, again, I'm maxing. I'm, co- I'm keeping my dirt covered. I'm maximizing every square foot I can. Brian, do you plant that on your place? Yeah, I think the Egyptian weed's pretty similar to that. Yeah, okay. same, same basic thing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, that does real well at my place in northeast Ohio, too. Okay, so I like that because that actually adds a little bit of cover, too. And maybe not, you know, real strong cover, but it could make the deer feel a little safer, too, if you're – if you have that sorghum, we're uh, going to, you know, maybe kind of help edge feather that hard edge of the crop field into the waterway or into the woods. So, not a bad idea. And it's, and if you're working with a farmer, it's not very herbicide tolerant. So, when they come back and spray, they're not introducing another weed. It'll, it, it, it's easy to kill after the fact. That's the other thing you got to watch, especially if you're working with, like, a lot of guys around here. There's one person that owns the ground. They're leasing uh, the ag land out to the farmer. Then they're turning around leasing their woods out to, the, to a deer hunter. You got to be able to work. You gotta, you want to be friends with that farmer. There's a lot of places around here where it seems like the, the hunters and the, and the farmers are kind of button heads. Like, hey, we, we can we can make the same goals. We can help each other out. Let's just just work together. Don't don't make assume this guy wants to plow under all my food plots and this guy wants to grow these deer and eat all my soybeans. Work with each other. It's not it's not hard. Yeah, funny you say that. I remember buddy Jesse and I, uh, we planted some food plots in between a, a bean field and a wood line and a wood lot. And uh, we had good germination come back like a month later. Nothing was there. Bare dirt. Like, what in the world? Yeah, it, it, the beans were round up ready. Um, mm-hmm. So he uh, definitely smoked our food plot. <laughs> And uh, we learned uh, what, how to, you know, watch out for that type of thing after that, guys. So if you're planting alongside of a farmer's field and that little gap between the woods and the crop, be careful and make sure you talk to him, like Curtis said, so uh, you can understand if he's going to spray or you can maybe talk him out of it or, or whatever. So 
Um, probably not talking about a spraying, but maybe you can go a little bit wider at that point for you. Well, and that's actually my news. After I spray my soybeans last time for the year, like I'll, I'll, I'll take that gap. You can usually drag a hair over it real quick, just kind of bust the dirt up and put, uh, put turnips down right there. And now you've got you've got a food plot. And turnips are actually the ones I've always found have been pretty shade tolerant. So they'll come up decent right there along the woods. And now you've got that food source that they can – because it seems like, too, you know, turnips sometimes deer hammer them. A lot of times it seems like they don't pick at them. But just having them there on the, edge, on the, on the field edge, it seems like sometimes at, at, at night you'll get that extra two, three minutes where they'll, that buck will come out and just kind of pick at them. It's just something right there from, that they can smell that they like that gets them out in the beans a little bit earlier. Okay, so let's let's do this. Try to paint us a picture here of a specific example of maybe a a square forty acre piece. The east twenty acres is the woodlot. The west twenty acres is uh, a bean field divided right up the middle, north and south. How would you go about that exact uh, situation in terms of your your access in there, um, trying to get some extra food or clover in there. What would your setup be, and how would you plant and hunt that? Um, if I can, on the on the edge away from the uh, from the wood line, I'm going to try to put some kind of screen up. Okay. Um, or and the, and the other thing you can play off is if if the na- if the neighbor side of there's got corn, well now you've got you've got a screen in place. You save yourself a few dollars there. Um, screen it in. And then, like I said, and then work with work if you're the farmer, work with the farmer, whatever. Once you know that they're done spraying beans for the last time, which normally you're thinking, most of the time your spraying should all be done by the time you're even thinking fall food plot anyway. Sometimes if you're trying to get in there a little bit early, it might burn you. Or if it's you know beans got planted planted later, they might come in and spray. But just say, hey, once that last time spraying, now, and now you know any bean that's up at that point is up. You're not gonna. You're not. There's no beans that are going to germinate at that point. They're going to do anything. So you've got. All right. Here's the line in my woods. There's the line to my. Uh, uh, to my beans. This is. You know. It might only be 10, 12 yards, but that's some of the best food plots I've had. Is turnips right there, along the edge of the wood line. Because as soon as as soon as they get that, this time of year, you know, February, and that their stomach stomach really start grumbling, they'll out there and they will paw those turnips to pieces because they they're on the edge. If they they can get out there in the middle of the day. If they, they feel the urge, and they can get right back in the woods, and they will absolutely hammer turnips on that edge. Okay, and then in between the turnips and the woods, is that where you put your screen, or would you put it on the outside of the turnips, in between the uh, turnips and the beans? It it depends on kind of like where, where your road is, what your what your neighbors got going. If you can, I would like I I try to I try to uh, screen the entire bean field in. Okay, nice. That way you can get that in early now. The deer will be still completely secure in that whole bean field all summer long, if you can do it. And I said, then that kind of depends whether you know if you own the ground, if you're working, whatever you got to do. And if you're working with a farmer that's leasing the ground, you know you can probably go to your landowner. A lot of they don't care as long as the check clears. If it's cash rent, hey, can I, I'll pay you an extra, you know, for an acre of cash rent and take your acre off off the edge. And now you've got an extra acre. It might you know it might only be ten foot wide, you know, length of the field. But that ten foot wide, you can get you can get a good screen in right there, and now those deer are going to feel secure across the field. Yeah, I'd I'd recommend that too. I think that's a great idea. Um, you could do like you said, the sorghum or Egyptian wheat for an annual screen. Uh, we like to use the stuff by Killer Food Plus, Border Patrol, or Smoke Screen. But if you wanted to do 
a uh, perennial, I would recommend like a switchgrass. It take a couple of years to get established, but then you're uh, you're eliminating the annual portion of it, and that that'd be a nice screen around that whole bean field. I can picture that. That'd be real sweet. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, if you depending on how your track sets up, if if you have any control of what gets planted where, split the farm down the middle 50-50 if you're on a corn and beans rotation. That way you've always got corn, you've always got beans, and you, and if you've got that same line down the middle, you will create, the deer will learn that's a natural edge. So if there's always corn on one side, you know, be a 10-foot weather, they will, the, the deer will learn, all right, there's always an edge right here, they'll learn to funnel that same spot. That's what kills me on one farm I have permission on my uncle rent, uh, rents that ground. He's heavy on the soybean rotation. If he's got, there's one field over there, he's got corn in it, I can hammer deer on that farm. If he doesn't have corn over there, it's almost not even worth hanging a stand anymore. Because they, the way the corn creates that edge from the travel, they feel that safety. If they don't have it, I just, I pretty much give up being trying to hunt that anymore. So the deer will follow the edge of the corn and funnel right by one of your stands, you're saying? And, well, it, it, the woods is kind of broken up. There's a lot of emptiness to it between tr- timber stands that way. So that if I got that 30 acres of corn in, there's that cover there. It gets them in there early, and then they will. It seems like they, even after the corn's gone, they'll still stay in the timber over there. But if it's all soybeans that year, they just don't. They don't. They don't want to commit to coming over there. I don't. I, I can't figure out any any other reason than I don't think they feel safe in the summer. It's such a long journey across in the open. They just won't stay over there. But when it's corn, and then they get over there, by the time rut comes around, the does have kind of made a bedding area over there, and they they stick around. All right, good to know. I figured. Uh... All those deer down in Illinois, you know, got these these big bucks just walking out in the middle of your bean fields for you, right? Wink, wink. <laughs> I, I actually, when I was living in, in Virginia, my buddy was living in North Carolina. He he had come up, shot a big deer in uh, Pike County a few years ago. Yeah. I was going to be home when the taxidermist was done. So he was like, yeah, I'm going to have to drive six or 17 hours where I pick up. I'm like, I'll be home next week. I'll just pick it up and grab it for you. It's only, I think, Pittsfield's four hours from the house. So, you know, me and the girlfriend take a drive, whatever. And as soon as I hit the Pike County sign, I'm like, where's the deer at? This is bull. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Pike County, Pike County, Pike County. It is good country oh, yeah. where you're at and all Illinois that I've been through. It is good country, though. Well, and I've actually, uh, another Michigan boy, uh, Mark Zona, so I used to fish heavy, talked about. Yeah, I know if him. You, if you want to kill, if you want to catch the biggest bass, you'll go, you know, Lake Falcon. If you want to catch, if you want a shot at a big bass, you go to Gunnersville, just like, you want a shot at a giant deer? You go to you go to Iowa. If you just want a chance at a seeing a bunch of big deer, you go to Southern Illinois. Or there's one thing we we don't have a lot of you know 200 inches that you hear about, but you it almost everybody I talk to will see a Pope and young deer at least two times a year around where we're at right now, and that's in the bad spots. I get some guys that they're mad if they don't if they go a week without seeing a Pope and young quality deer. Wow, wow. Good problem to have. I have that same problem. Don't you guys know? Same problem. Oh. <laughs> Seeing them at 400 yards and getting them at 20 is a big game around here. <laughs> Amen. No, I oh, hear you. We're, sure. we're lucky in Michigan to see uh, we won a year. If uh, you know, I, I mean, I say that as a broad stroke of the brush, right? It's not only me. It's, it's Some guys have some really awesome ground. But I think, like, on average, I say I put my – I get a chance or a nice view of – at least just about one a year, not not ten, you know, not fifteen, but like one. So, well, and we're real we're real compartmental here. I mean, um, so 
I live in Randolph County. I don't hunt in Randolph County. We are, if you always look at the numbers every year when it's all done, it's it's Pike, Adams, all the, you know, the big three. And then Randolph County is right there with total deer killed every year. But we've got some neighborhoods. One, if I take the take the side road home in the, in the evenings, I'll, I'll do it down there. If I don't see 25 deer in, a, in that four-mile stretch of road at, four, at 5 o'clock in the evening, that's a, that's a bad night. I don't have that problem on my farm, but that, we have pockets like that around here. Nice. So, Curtis, what would you recommend for how we can improve the habitat so we can see more of those Pope and Young bucks? Uh, get everybody to cut your woods out and start planting corn. <laughs> okay. That sounds uh, easy enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things, too. It's Everybody thinks, oh, my God, I'm coming to, come to Illinois to see all these deer. It's There's some places you're going to see them, some places you aren't. Um, right. Well, we're all supposed to strip mine country down here, and there are places in strip mine ground around here. I'm convinced that's where the next Illinois record is going to come from, but I'm sure there's deer in there that have lived seven, eight years and never seen a person. Because it's just, oh, yeah. so, it's so rough, hard access country that it, you're just not getting there to get them. All that early successional growth making it thick and nasty, too. It, 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 well, the autumn olive gets bad in the strip mine ground, so they, they've got thick cover. They've got something to eat, and there's plenty of water in, the, in all the lakes. So they, uh, they, can, they can hide out there for years, and no one ever know they're there. For sure. Now, you had mentioned uh, putting in some food plots along your beans and waiting until after your last spray. Now, what do you do with the um, ag field rotation issue and the food plot rotation? How do you balance that, and what have you learned there? Um, I, I kind of the last few years, I've really had to just kind of play it by what the weather is going to let me do because we've we've been so wet in the spring. I've I, I as 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 for farming wise, I didn't get a seed in the ground until June first this year. I, I started I didn't start planting corn until June, so I got a little limited on what I could do food plot wise. And of course, once it was time to put the food plot food fall pots in, or fall food plots, excuse me, and uh, we didn't get a rain. We couldn't buy a rain. So I, uh, one thing I've, I was trying to do more this year, I've had friends that, they, that run beef cattle, they fly wheat onto their corn. So I was, I just tried spreading a little wheat and rye seed in between the rows, and I just, I couldn't get rain for it to come up. But that's another one that uh, I've heard of guys doing is they'll just get a walk behind lawn cedar and walk down those 30-inch rows and just, you know, about the about the time the corn starts to turn, you'll get you'll get enough sunlight in there when the leaves while it's on dry down. You can get that you can get that wheat coming up, and then first week of October that corn gets shelled. You've got you've got fresh cut corn with four inches of uh, of early successional wheat growth down there. And if you can get that to come up, the deer will absolutely hammer it. Very nice. Now, what about your turnips? How often do you plant the turnips? Do you plant them back to back, or are you rotating those also? Um. It, it, it kind of depends if I get the turnips in. I, ideally, I like to put turnips and then radishes. And uh, it also depends, too, if I'm no-tilling beans or uh, corn or if I'm, or if I'm working the ground up. If, I'm, if I work the ground up, I'll come back turnips twice. If, if, I'm, if it's no-till and it all depends how bad the deer hit them. If, I, if, I, if they didn't tear the uh, turnips up too bad the year before, I'll try not to put them again because then you just get too much root mass in the ground. They don't, it seems like the second year they just don't want to. They won't fill out the way they should. Okay, very nice. Well, kind of, kind of switching gears here, Curtis. Uh, we had talked about how you like to to help farmers without altering their their yields. You know, help them 
maximize their available food space, and, and this in turn helps you gain permission to improve the habitat where some farmers might just say, you know, like you're saying, button heads with the hunters, and uh, you, you're, you're doing the opposite thing. You're becoming friends with them and, and helping them. How are you going about doing that, and what are some of the suggestions you might have for guys like us out there? Well, first thing is, wave a farmer's heart through his pocketbook. Um, so show them, hey, if I, I can come in here, do some, tell about, you know, hinge cutting, a little TSI, but, you know, hey, let me come in here, I'll clean out these old ash trees, get your oak trees going up, so then maybe in three or four years you can get a timber buyer in here. Hey, yeah, now you're thinking, okay, they'll sell their oak, they're happy. In the meantime, you can do some hinge cuts, you can get, open up the canopy at the top so the oak trees have less competition, and you're also... Getting, getting those trees on the ground, get, getting a little head start, getting you know, a little successful growth towards the bottom. Uh, I said our, our, big, our big battle around here right now has been bush honeysuckle. Clean out that bush honeysuckle on the edges so that it's amazing how quickly bush honeysuckle will creep out into the field and you don't even realize it. Um, where I was cleaning some up this year in a waterway, um, I remember when I was a kid, neighbors hunted that uh, on our ground. There was a tree stand, an old willow tree. I just remember that being there. I was in there with a skid steer. I was about a good 10, 12 feet into the, off the field edge now, and there was that ladder from that old ladder stand. That, that, the ditch that I thought was thick when I was a kid was now from both sides probably 35, almost 40 foot wider because the bush honeysuckle just kept creeping out, creeping out, creeping out. Wow. So cleaning that up, you're you're always going to have – that's the other thing. You're, you're always going to have that 10-foot space between the wood between the wood line and the, and the crop and the crop field where you're not going to get, you know, good corn, all that. Well, if you can just, hey, let me take my 10 foot off here, you clean that up. Now they've gained 10 foot of farm ground. You've still got your 10 foot of food plot, so you've both, you've both gained something. That's, so that's you're saying you go into the woods 10 feet, clean up the bush honeysuckle or whatever else was there, give them their 10 feet back, and then you created a new 10 feet, right? Uh, now you've gained you've gained ten foot that you can put food in. They've gained ten. They've they've actually gained cropland. So everybody's one one on this. And I and I said normally you're not getting prize oak trees. You're getting well, you know, you're getting some other successful plants that they might like to eat. But around us, you're mostly getting bush honeysuckle, autumn olive, and hackberry, which are about the three worthless things you got to put on this earth, if you ask me. So get them out of there. Put something in that deer will like, and you you've helped everybody else out with that one. Nice, it's a good idea, and I like what you said about the way to a farmer's heart is through his pocketbook. That's uh, that's a good thing to remember if you're trying to go gain some hunting permission or try to gain habitat permission, if you will. Well, and, and offering help, I know it, it, it might be hard uh, that third week in October when you when you hit a cold front, you think you want to be out there stand, but if, same thing when that when it's it, I always get conflicted when a cold front comes in because I want to hit the stand, but I also think I got to get crops out or I got to get wheat in, I got to get this done. So having somebody else want to take a, a, a Saturday off that they want a deer hunt come out, if they'd offer to drive tractor for me, something like that, that's 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 worth more than more than money right there. So, you know, if it, in the, in the grand scheme of things, hey, rather than paying four thousand dollars for a lease, come out and help a guy for maybe forty hours in the fall. Which, which one are you going to take every year? Yeah, that's a good point, man. Very good point. Um, other one is. And I, this has been my new absolute obsession. I, I don't do enough of it. Is cover crops. Uh, one of the number one cover, cover crops I recommend right now in Southern Illinois is a mix of uh, purple top turnips and rye and cereal rye. That's, that's a food fly. Oh that's my gosh! Unit. Yeah. And you know, I mean, how like, you guys just trying to put food plots in? How much time would you spend to put in four acres of that in the fall? 
Not much. Now, but if I told you, hey, you can buy, you buy the seed, I'll let you use my tractor and my drill, and you can put out 40 acres of it in an afternoon. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, no, I meant not much in terms of if you're going to go put it in on their field for you. I mean, yeah, it's not much same. effort or time to really do that. The field's there. Um, the, you're talking about yeah, using his equipment. Your yeah. wheeler and, and putting a little patch in. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you guys drill all that in or could you broadcast that even? Um, when I've done it, I've drilled it. I've heard a guy's broadcasting it. I think it kind of depends on your property where you're at. Well, you know, how much you want to spend, how much food you or how, how much seed you can get. That's, that was yeah. the big ones. Okay, because I know you'd be broadcasting more seed than if you're drilling, but if you don't have a drill and you're going to go out there and help and you don't have an airplane to drop it off either, um, uh, could be simple. Now, something else we've done with turnips in the past, if we're having problems controlling our seeding rate, is mix them with sand. Okay. So now, you you know, if you can only get this to go to whatever, how many pounds of breakdown your broadcast spreader will dump, dump, dump 200 pounds of sand in, a, in, in your little spreader with, with turnip seed and mix it together, and you can cut, you can, you can control that feed rate or that seed rate a lot better that way. That's a good idea. And and how much sand do you add per acre? It, it, uh, it's it's going to depend on on what what you can set your spreader to versus what your seed rate is going to be. I know there's some spreaders that they, they say they'll cut down to you know two pounds an acre, what they won't. So, but if you know that you can, if you know you can successfully spread five pounds an acre, and you're trying to get two pounds of turnips per acre, you can do the math set to five. Just make sure you've got it, you've got to all mix it together well, and you're still hitting your seed rate that way. That sounds great. I'm going to have to try that for sure because uh, I, I tend to get a little heavy-handed on the uh, turnip seed, whether I'm using a hand spreader or a shoulder spreader or even on my tractor. I'm going to have to yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just, a, just, a, just a quick uh, bag of tube sand from the hardware store goes a long way when you're doing it that way. For sure. Well, Curtis, we want to be respectful of your time. I know you're expecting a phone call here shortly, so uh, I just wanted to start wrapping up here. Um, if you want to go into one or two pieces of habitat-related or even hunting-related advice for small property owners, most of our listeners are working with smaller properties, you know, under 100 acres or so. Um, maximize every square foot you can get. There's no – I think a lot of guys, are t- they're afraid to screw up, and, or they also think, I got to have, you know – at first, I haven't thought that. I got 100 acres. I'm wasting my time. I can't hold deer on 100 acres. You're not going to hold – you're not going to hold deer. On, you're not going to hold deer on a thousand acres in a lot of places. I know. I know guys that bought big chunks of strip mine ground around here, thinking they're going to hold all the deer, or whatever. And guess guess who kills the biggest bucks around? The farmer who has a 14 acre cornfield along the edge because they hop they hop the fence, they go under the cornfield, and they get shot. Right. You're not going to hold deer on any property you have unless you own square miles upon miles, and you've got the deer that are in the very middle. So you you're not going to mess up. Do everything you can. And uh, as far as hunting. Uh, thing once near dear my, my heart is wear your safety harness. I had a tree stand fall a few years ago. That's a whole other story. But I'm I'm lucky to be here. I cracked three vertebrae, ripped my hand up. I can't feel my thumb anymore. Wow. Well, please wear your safety harnesses. That's I I, I beg people every time. And uh, one stat that I'll throw out, and a lot of people will be amazed, is if if you take any three deer hunters that hunt from an elevated stand, one of them has fallen. Okay. And, and when when did you have your fall? When you were climbing in, climbing out, sitting there? I was sitting stand up. I was okay. done. 
And I had a buddy who fallen the year before, and I was the biggest safety harness guy as anybody at that point, but I was in a hurry. I had the harness on. I left the tree stack in the truck. Oh, man. The set, the set was hung. I was going to get out, and the bottom strap was twisted. And I thought, I can, you know, pull that over, no big problem. Well, when I pulled it over, it loosened up with my weight on the stand. It just trapped doored me, and I fell 18 feet laying flat on my back. Man, alive. Well, I'm glad you're okay, and that's a great lesson for everybody. Don't ever forget that. It's funny you say that. You talked to, you know, three hunters that hunt from Elevated. You got at least one that fell. Well, there's three hunters on this podcast right now, and we got two that fell. So I also fell um, back in probably 2007, uh, 18 feet on my back. It was exactly the same. I was getting out of the tree stand and uh, ended up missing my step and broke a branch and everything kind of came down. But I'm also very lucky, and and uh, we should talk about that more. We, we don't talk about that enough. We definitely should. And a, a good friend of ours this year, Pat Cross, uh, he fell out of a tree stand and busted up his ribs and uh, a couple of vertebrae, etc. So, yeah, that's a real thing. Uh, thanks for mentioning that, Curtis. really appreciate that. No problem. Now, there's one question that I like to ask. I get a lot of good answers out of this one. Um, your favorite tree could be for habitat for the deer, could be for where you like to have a picnic. I don't really care. I just want to know what your favorite tree is for habitat or hunting or whatever you like to do and, and why. Um, I'll probably throw one you haven't heard before. Actually, mine right now is a sycamore tree. Okay. I have not because heard that before. Why? They they grow straight on edges. I'm a big I, – I, the deer I killed this year was actually a big sycamore tree in the middle of a waterway in the middle of that whole farm. I've got another block of timber the neighbors have to the south of me, and I know the deer use that, so I set it right in the middle of it. Of course, it was he was chasing doe, so he came out of nowhere. didn't follow the script at all, but they – Everywhere that I've seen, like I like to set stands between waterways or field edges. There's you can there's sycamore trees. They're straight. They're white. You can see them from a long way away. They and that, I've been lucky too. The ones I've hunted out of the the branches always seem to start right about where you're gonna set the stand anyway. So you've got that mass behind you, and they're they're just great for they're great for hanging stands. They're great for cover behind you. That's perfect, man. And you said you shot your buck out of that this past year. Yes. Nice. And what was he? Um, That's the one you posted up, right? Yeah, I think the top probably three and a half year late point. That was the of the three deer I had on camp on camera that I wanted to kill. He was the smallest one, but that was that was the first good good deer I've killed off the off the farm I own with you know with the management. And it was just I said it didn't follow the script. I had decoy set up. The wind was coming out of the north. This was going to be perfect. And all of a sudden, I looked and here a doe just comes streaking across the cornfield. Ran up. She was going to hop the ditch. She saw the decoy, decided she didn't want to do that. And I'm thinking, oh, man, she's going to go north. This is, this is no good. She turned. She came right down. She stopped. She put her head in the food plot. And I had a little kill plot right there because I had right, pushed some trees out. Had that little turnip plot right there. She put her head right there. He came up 15 yards, broadside shot. Just It didn't come in the way I wanted to, but otherwise just the way I drew it up and put it right there. And then kind of the, the other one that was great about it was, uh, my girlfriend's son, he's five, and talking to him like, hey, buddy, remember when me and him, I got a video of him, he's out throwing seed there in the, where we put that plot in. Like, remember we put that plot in? He goes, yeah. He goes, is that where you killed that deer? I go, yeah, buddy. He goes, 
and kind of looked at me and goes, so you helped me kill a deer because you helped me put that food plot in. Just seeing his smile light up when he put two and two together that he helped kill a deer because he helped put the food plot in. And now, unfortunately, he's probably going to be a, a hooked whitetail junkie for the rest of his <laughs> life, too. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a that's a great story and, and a great tree, man. Nice job. And, and yeah, hopefully you got him hooked for life. Uh, like you said, maybe unfortunately for uh, whoever the woman is that he marries, but like the rest of us, we're all – we're all hooked and in, in, in it forever. So, cool story. Now, if anybody wants to reach out and learn more about you and where you're from and, and what you're up to, uh, where should we send them? Um, just uh, Curtis Harms on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram a little bit. I don't do much on there. Um, and I'm looking at because I'm really trying to hit some of my project harder this year. I've thought about if I got time to do a YouTube channel and just kind of do the basic stuff I'm doing, pushing trees out. How to, you know, uh, hurt, uh, hack and squirt on bush honeysuckle, hanging stands. Um, I have been in talks with the TMA, tree stand manufacturers, about doing a safety video, telling the story of my fall. Um, and if anybody, so if anybody wants to talk safety or if you've got somebody that they won't, you you know, they won't wear a harness, send them my way. I will try with them if I have to, tell them my story, show them the scars in my hands, all that stuff. Um. And you have to get any questions on, you know, how to talk farming, too. That's the other thing is, you want, you want to come on my property, show me the case of bush light, and tell me you want to talk farming and deer hunting one day. We'll sit in the garage for a couple hours. So, <laughs> hey, I'm, man. I'm, I'm, I'm always down to swap stories. Yeah, you, you better not tell that to a guy like me and Brian, because we'll show up with two cases <laughs> for the weekend. Come on That's down, the unofficial beverage of the Habitat podcast. Yep. Bush light. Yes, sir. Yeah, you... Uh, you can't be very far from our buddy Jordan, who's just just like us, brother from another mother. So, you know, we know you're good people down there, and appreciate you coming on. And, uh, yeah, if you get to YouTube or, or any videos or whatnot, you know, hit us up. We'll share them for you. It'll be fun. Yeah, no problem. And uh, and another one I'll throw out there because I've talked to a few people. If anybody wants, if somebody from another state wants to come to Illinois sometime and wants to swap a hunt, I'm trying to, I, I, need, I want to kill a deer in Texas and a deer in Iowa or Missouri in the next couple of years. There you if go. Maybe want something in Illinois, Buck, and want to do a hunt swap, look me up, and I'll, we'll try to make that happen. Very cool. And and you guys, if you ever want to come down to Illinois, you've got a standing it standing invitation to come down hunt the farm whenever you guys want. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much, Curtis. We appreciate really appreciate that. that. All right, guys. Well, uh, that was it from Curtis. Thank you so much, Curtis, for coming on tonight. We really appreciate your time uh, chatting with us and helping out the listeners with all your great information here at the Habitat Podcast. Guys, if you want to hear more from Curtis, check him out on Facebook, like he said. If you want to hear more from us, you can go to HabitatPodcast.com. We also have Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all available for you guys to follow along with. Brian started up the uh, Project 311 here today on Facebook, so be sure to check out that video if you haven't heard about his new 311-acre lease. He has some sweet pictures on there and video as well. Instagram also has some highlights of Project 311 today. And guys, uh, be sure to listen to all of our other episodes if you're new up at HabitatPodcast.com, the podcast app on any Apple phone, uh, Google Play, uh, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get a podcast, let us know. I even just submitted it to Pandora. So in a few weeks, we should be up on Pandora as well, uh, based on what they told me. I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Habitat Hook. Packer Max Cult Packers, Morse Nurseries, Killer Food Plots, 
Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, 5-2 Outdoors, and the HuntWise app. Thank you guys for uh, helping support the podcast. We will be back again with another great episode coming up. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the great reviews. Thanks for your support. We love you. Thank you for tuning in with us as we become better habitat managers, guys. Take care. We'll talk to you next week.